Welcome to the Hanging Out with Cast. Uh, this is our first episode. Uh, I think the uh, big thing we're going to do first is we are going to introduce ourselves because you don't know who anybody is in here. And then we'll kind of talk about what we want to do with this podcast. So uh, I am your host. My name is John. And uh, I'll introduce everybody else here with me today. So I've got James. Tell me a little bit about yourself, James. My name is James. Uh, I haven't found anything interesting about myself, so I hope that being on this podcast will sort of illuminate some things for me. That would be very handy. And then uh, immediately following him is going to be Ben. Hi, I'm Ben. <laughs> Um, I am a 2D animator uh, with experience both with uh, Titmouse as well as more recently working on season two of Hell of a Boss. And then finally, we have the bad boy of the podcast, Daniel <laughs> Salsa Mild. Hey, uh, um, I'm Dan. Uh, I'm a media nerd. I like all sorts of things, and I just like talking about it with people because I'm, I'm here for these hot takes. And we got some hot takes coming to you. Uh, so, Which is weird because you're mild salsa. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, in some, some circumstances, mild can be spicy. Can you don't to choose your name. <laughs> it's all a matter of taste. It's all a matter of taste. Um, so, That's a legal name, you know. <laughs> yep. I uh I will dox him at the end of this podcast. Please do. <laughs> and thanks uh, if you were wondering about our home addresses that will be in the description <laughs> of the podcast. Thanks. So, uh I kind of want to get into why we're making this podcast. Um what we have to bring to the table that is different than every other media podcast that you're listening to. Um it's that we're hot. It's because we're all just so, 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 so sexy. We um, have rockin' hot bods, and we're total himbos. This is, uh, this is the himbo cast, episode one. Um, <laughs> That's our cell for this audio-only format. I want you to imagine what we look like. But hotter. But much hotter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, I, what I wanted to create here is... Uh, in the last god i guess i've been out here for 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 three years uh all these guys are are friends of mine from college uh some sooner than college but we we all hung out very regularly uh in college and we we would sit down and we would do movie nights and we would uh you know talk about what we really liked and talked about like just kind of sharing media and i i i miss that sort of uh sort of vibe that we used to uh give out you know um so i kind of want to capture that like kind of you know a a group of your college film friends uh i want to do something that's very very you know kind of relaxing you're hanging out with everybody hence the name um but also get into some, you know, critique, get into some analysis. So 
a lot of episodes that we have planned in the near future are going to be these more periodic episodes, which are uh, uh, just base hanging out with cast. We'll we'll kind of talk about what we've been doing, things we've been watching, things we've been playing, just, you know, things that we think have value that we want to share with each other um, because we are friends and we want to talk about things that we've watched because we're we're getting older and we're living our separate lives and everything but also uh sharing it with you guys and saying hey we think that this has a either a entertainment value artistic value something that we need to send out or something is just the worst and we need to warn people from watching it is kind of the goal i want to get into with all of this and then we'll have big longer form sit down with specific people and talk about specific things. And that's when we get into our analysis and our, our critique. So, you know, we're, we hung out, we watched a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that like, I associate a lot of these people with, with different forms of media and just sitting down and talking about it. Even if it's like something where, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit later, uh, James has been playing Resident Evil. Resident Evil is one of my favorite things in the world. I've been playing them since I was a a, a, a young child. Um, and just sitting down and like, if it's somebody's first introduction into it, just kind of chatting with them and seeing how they find it and just sharing things that, you know, we like. So we're going to get into that uh, for these these podcasts we're going to have a, a, a format to kind of similar to, you know, your normal media podcast. We'll, we'll go into what we're watching um, and just to divide it, have some longer form discussion on like things that we've been playing because I feel like we can talk about movies um, at nauseum. Let's break up the monotony and talk about games and at least get maybe a different approach to that. So we're going to head into our first segment, which is going to be our watching segment. And we are going to start out with the Oscar winning Rise of the God- Guardians. Um, that's something that uh, Ben and I have both watched. Fantastic movie. I love all of the owls in it. <laughs> the The subtitle is... It's very... It, it is very weird that... Um... It it is very weird that this movie is so like a lot of Guardians movies came out all at once and they're all CGI things for kids. So is this not the one with the owls? I genuinely thought you guys were gonna talk about the owl movie. The, N- no. This is the one with the uh uh the hot Jack Frost, right? Yes. Yeah, it is. Uh, Played by Chris Pine. No, that was a Tim Allen movie. (laughs) (laughs) Martin Short. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, Martin Short. He's dreamy. And he invented chill. Um, (laughs) um, No, yeah. So I'd always seen stuff of Rise of the Guardians and like everybody's always told me like, Oh, you should check it out and all this stuff. And, um, recently it came to Netflix. So that kind of just, um, made headway of like, okay, I guess I'll just sit down and check it out. Cause, um, everybody seems to, you know, 
at least have some form of positive thoughts on it. Um, and so when I watched it, um, I think the first thing that struck me was like, all I could think watching this movie is there is no way that this movie would be made today. Um, it is so weird. Um, both in story and visually. Um, that I just, it, it seems like in the certain, in, 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 the, in the current landscape of movies, for kids especially, it is, it's just not um, as safe of a bet as most kids' movies are today. Um, but, you know, with all that being said, like, it's just very special specific unto itself it's it's very much its own thing um and uh so yeah like um i guess uh we could just sort of i'll just go over the plot sort of so basically all of the uh, basically all of the holidays have their own personified people um for some reason Santa Claus is not called Santa Claus. I, I'm not quite sure why. I think he's just called Christmas. I guess because he's Father Christmas. He is credited as North. <laughs> oh yeah, he's North. Right. He's just North. <laughs> what? Is um, that like calling Master Chief John Halo? So I, <laughs> before you get into uh, the the actual synopsis of this movie, the thing that uh, same thing with you stood out with me is. Uh, the designs of everybody so weird and the voice cast you're, yeah. you're right this chris is pratt? uh it is pratt. <laughs> chris pratt uh chris pine as jack frost which i was never expecting i i i my entry into uh rise of the guardians are all of the thirst memes about jack frost because he's a handsome boy, and he he lives in that like I'm a sad, emotional, handsome boy. Yeah. So also course, the best design in the movie uh, as well. I will say I really like. I know this is a maybe a hot take. I really like Santa's design. He's like he's a like Russian mob boss. He's got tattoos on his hands that say. Uh, his, his knuckle tattoos that say naughty or nice. Mm -hmm. um, and he is voiced by uh, Alec Baldwin, which I thought was <laughs> crazy. And we've got like the Easter Bunny voiced by Hugh Jackman. Jude Law is, uh, is the is villain. This movie... <laughs> it's just, is it... this movie awesome? It sounds awesome. <laughs> I, uh, I I'm I'm curious we'll to see to how you find it, Ben, because uh, I'm gonna let you get back into the synopsis of it. Um, but I did not like this movie. There were some mm -hmm. bits that I was like, I can't believe that happened. Um, one of which <laughs> is when that kid uh is just barreling through traffic and just almost dying at every turn, and then he's finally saved at the end, and there's big ass couch comes and kills him <laughs> yeah <laughs> um 
But I ended up stopping at the first villain fight. Which there's a villain mm-hmm. fight with all of these uh these uh holiday characters, which once again, I don't know how this movie exists and in the state it exists with that talent, with that but, style. Uh yeah. It's it's bizarre to me. The the fact that it's made by DreamWorks is almost it it is the biggest whiplash you could get from like this kind of movie being produced by a huge studio that is so crazy to me especially okay so yeah we'll we'll get into it so basically all of the all of the holiday hero people i guess um <laughs> they have to fight the the, the boogeyman but his name is Pitch Black. Um, but he's the boogeyman. And he's like trying to make everybody not believe in holidays anymore. And so his big plan is to make everybody not believe in him or not believe in Santa or the Sandman or the Tooth Fairy or the Easter Bunny. OK, um, so-, so they they bring in Jack Frost, who no one believes in, apparently, like the the whole phrase like Jack Frost nipping at your nose like everyone in the world is like that's just a phrase he's not a person clearly a metaphor unlike the Easter Bunny um there's a point where like somebody like a, a an adult is talking to the child that dies and the adult says that phrase uh Jack Frost nipping at your nose and he's just like what what is that and she's like it's just it's just the saying um. And so, and so the thing is that, like, uh, Jack Frost isn't seen by anyone because no one believes in him. Um, but people can see the the holiday people or whatever. Um, and so, but no one believes in the boogeyman ever since the Black Plague. <laughs> All of this is so arbitrary. It's very arbitrary. And like, okay, so basically, anyways, long story short, they have to stop Pitch Black. Um, this movie is like the the highest praise I could give it is like, it's a cute movie that I wouldn't be upset showing my child or something. Um, it's not great. It's It's not very good. Um, it does have that dreamy once they're looking Jack Frost though, so that's like yeah. a huge positive. Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> um, the 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 thing that stood out to me the most in this film, uh, is the hair. Um, what I, I don't know if time. they used. I don't know if they used like a physics engine for the hair or something, but it just looks weird throughout the entire film. Like everyone's hair, like Santa Claus's beard, Jack Frost's hair. Like it's so much more detailed than the rest of the designs. But then on top of that, you have the designs, which all look like they're from a different movie. Like they don't really sync up together very well. Um, 
in a very weird way. Um, I don't know. Like, it, it, it was, I guess it's cute, um, but there are parts that look really weird. And then there, it's a very arbitrary plot. And then there's the whole, like, I, the, the thing I hate the most in movies, like, this is my biggest gripe with movies, is, like, when it's, like, uh, certain characters don't understand the entire context of another person's actions that they're friends with, and so they think that they betrayed them. And then they're like, I'm instead of talking to you about this, I am just going to go away. I'm done with you. We're not going to talk about it at all. Like, I hate when it's like the big misunderstanding or whatever. I absolutely hate that in movies. And unfortunately, this movie has that at the end of the second act. So got to love that. Um, so, uh, yeah, but... Uh, in terms of all that stuff, it's more than it's like it's not a terrible movie, but it's I will never watch this movie again, and it's very weird. And so, I, I have think I love that movie. I have no Skyler. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> we <laughs> surprise celebrity guest. Skyler's a mystery. He's <laughs> like eight segments too early. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. <laughs> hey, Skyler. What's gonna happen? Hey. You're a little late, buddy. Nah. I'm faster than late. We're keeping this in. It's an hour. An hour into the recording. We have a surprise guest. Uh, this it's week's dead. mystery guest is Skyler. So introduce Hi. yourself, Skyler. I'm Skyler. Um, hi. More like Hyler, am I right? Hell yeah. <laughs> 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 okay, so uh, uh, with that, I think that will draw to a close our Guardians talk. Um, so let's move on to our next topic, which is TNG, Star Trek, The Final Frontier, The Next Generation. And uh, I think probably all of us have seen this. I've seen, like, a season of it. Um, I've never seen Star Trek ever at all. Skylar doesn't know about Star Trek, but um, I'm going to leave the floor to all three of Daniel, Ben, and James because I think you guys have the most experience with this. <laughs> yeah, I'm currently in it, and uh, I actually just got to the start of season, season seven yesterday. Oh. Which, that's its own. <laughs> it's a long journey to get there, of course. But uh, you know, with Star Trek being a, a show in the mid '90s, uh, people that knew about it and watched it then, as it was coming out, uh, it was hugely popular, wildly successful. But nowadays, you've got like Star Trek Picard, where you've got these people in writers' rooms who think they remember what Star Trek is, and the only way to really, if you haven't seen it, is to go back and watch. 
And so that's what I've been doing. And it is just a wonderful time, in all honesty. Like, some of the best sci-fi that's out there. And I, there's its highs and its lows, but those highs get way up there. I think, in general, The Next Generation is the most inconsistent television show I've ever seen. I would probably agree with that. There's an argument to be made for sure. It has genuinely some of the best television and also absolutely some of the worst like the the season one episode where those those uh uh those african-american aliens are fighting over tasha yar as like trying (laughs) to like win the right to marry a lady on the enterprise it is uh rough yeah that's rough stuff and then you also have that's rough. And then you also have episodes like The Inner Light that literally run that literally won a science fiction literature award. Like reserved for short stories and the script for a television show wins it. Yeah, it's it's very it's, weird. It's, um especially since like it's it's been so long since I've watched TNG. Um but I can pretty much if someone brings up an episode I, I I basically remember the episode. Um, You're already there. Yeah, like <laughs> I like if you say, "Oh, like the episode where this thing happens," I'm like, "Oh yeah, I remember that entire episode." Um, whether that's good or bad, <laughs> um, but I, I think that TNG is definitely like a show where just the writers were onto something one episode, and it's like, "Wow, this is like really, really." compelling and very interesting and very inventive or you get um Worf's kid going to the hollow deck and there's a bunch of weird floating heads and you just feel uncomfortable <laughs> watching the entire episode that episode's so weird <laughs> they take a mud um, bath we don't uh, yeah they literally i literally couldn't figure out before you got to the floating heads which episode where alexander wanders into the holodeck and it's a big problem for everybody. Dan, I think you still have another one coming up, by the way. I'm sure there is, but one that I, I want to say talk the most about, famous one. But a really one of my things that's it's a, my favorite part about Star Trek is and really anything that has good writing is when you let the characters carry that show. So there's an episode called Disaster, where after you've spent, you know, four seasons with the main cast, they they shake it up. And they put everyone in basically a situation they're not prepared to handle. Some sort of, uh, we'll say, space anomaly happens to the Enterprise. And you end up with Troy has to be in charge of the bridge. And then, like, um, Crusher and Geordi end up trapped in some cargo bay. And they're about to die from any number of things going wrong. Worf has to deliver a baby in 10 forward. Uh, Picard is stuck in an elevator with some kids and all of these things are things that like they're not prepared to handle but you put them in it anyway and you watch them thrive regardless of it and it's just all those character moments and knowing what your characters are and using them well like that's a hallmark of what is clearly some of the best writing out there i that my first trip through i really really liked that episode and I think 
uh, there's some episodes that I really liked on my first pass that I didn't care for as much the second time through. That one has just kept escalating for me because I love the uh, uh, some of these characters go on to Deep Space Nine, which I actually like more. And still seeing them earlier, you get you get so many hints of these characters that are a lot deeper than you could normally get on this run of the mill sort of budget sci fi show. It's nice. They 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 sort of future proof their characters in a really delightful way. The part where little boy Picard says Rikers is number one dad. <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of quotable <laughs> things that come out of his episodes. Like I'll text Jimmy whenever it happens. <laughs> it's pretty. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's so good to see. Uh, well, let's move from one sci-fi. Uh, masterpiece to another. Let's talk about The Matrix Resurrection. Yeah. So, um, I uh, saw Matrix Resurrections with uh, my parents and uh, Rachel on uh, Christmas Day. Um, and so, when we were going to the movie, I was kind of like, I wasn't really expecting much because uh, nothing that I saw of this movie really wowed me. I was sort of also confused because it didn't look like The Matrix, really. Um, like, even aesthetically, you would think that they would, like, at least make it feel like it's in tandem with the three previous films. But um, just a quick summation. I think the first Matrix is a really fun action movie. I don't think it's necessarily... Um, you know, a masterpiece, but I think it's a fun ride. And there are parts that I really like of that movie. Um, the other two, I don't really care for. Um, but um, the thing that shocked me the most about Matrix Resurrections and slight spoilers for Matrix Re Resurrections, but the first uh, third of this movie is sort of a critique of the current climate of IP based filmmaking in a way that I thought was very interesting. Um, there's a lot of sort of meta dialogue between Neo and his boss in the movie, where it's basically the movie starts um, and uh, Tom Anderson is back in the Matrix for some reason. Um, and in the Matrix, he developed a game called The Matrix that's considered like this really big, incredible video game. And his boss is like, we need to make a sequel to The Matrix. And he said the studio, Warner Brothers, uh, who produced the movie, he said, Warner Brothers is going to do it without you or with you. Either way, you don't have a choice in it. You either we're we're making it anyway. Um, and so it feels very much almost like uh, I believe this movie was only directed by Lana Wachowski. Um, but it sounds like she is very sort of cynical when it comes to this sort of uh, new uh take on movie making where it has to be based off of something or it has to be a sequel to something because we know that that'll sell. Um, 
she, uh, she writes all of the executives who are in charge of making this uh, Matrix sequel like sound like the biggest California tools you've ever heard. Like they just say like hella and stuff all the time. <laughs> and it's like so... It, it it is it is such an entertaining beginning to that movie, um, one that I was legitimately shocked at, and I felt like I was watching something that had never been done before, where the movie was directly talking to the audience and being like, "You're a part of the problem of this being a thing," which I I found I fascinating. I, I found it that. fascinating. Yeah, it's great. Um, unfortunately, though. Um, after not shouldn't be spoilers at all, but after Neo gets out of the Matrix, it sort of devolves into being another Matrix movie. Um, which sort of like I get it, like it's like okay, well you asked for it, so we'll give you it. Um, but at the same time, it just kind of it feels like we're treading water throughout the whole movie. And what's even weirder is that the choreography of the fights is worse than any of the first three movies it's a lot of shaky cam a lot of close-ups um you don't really get to see a lot of kung fu which is very weird um neil patrick harris shows up and he's terrible in it um he's just like a he's just kind of boring character Unfortunately, Hugo Weaving is not in this movie as Mr. Smith. Really? And so, no. Um, oh. oh. He's, he's, like, been reprogrammed into another person. Um, which, like, uh, sure, like, it, uh, it makes sense in the story. Like, it's not a plot hole, or it's not like that's dumb. Yeah, that but, already happened with the Oracle. It's just a shame. Yeah. Hugo Weaving slaps. Yeah, Hugo Weaving is great in those movies. Like, he's just so hammy. I love it. Um, but, um, yeah, like, it's very weird. It's a very weird movie um, where the first act is thoroughly entertaining in a way that I was not expecting at all. But then it sort of just evolves into being a sequel to The Matrix that's kind of boring. Um, and then that's the movie. And so I, I would say, like, if you've seen the Matrix movies, um, you might as well watch Matrix Resurrections because the beginning of that movie is legitimately like, honestly, it might be my favorite thing I've seen the Wachowskis make. Um, or I guess it's only Lana Wachowski who is involved. Um, it's, it's very, very interesting. Um, and so, yeah, anyways, it's 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 not a great movie, um, but that first part is very fascinating and definitely worth a watch. OK, that sounds that sounds good. Um, I definitely want to check that out. I uh, I'm a big fan of Matrix one and two. I haven't seen three. I like how Matrix two just kind of devolves and just goes crazy. So, <laughs> yeah, Um Awesome. So our our next topic is Curb Your Enthusiasm, another great sci-fi classic. Well, and I think it's it's another show that wants to tell the audience 
how much it dislikes them. So, I mean, it's got that in common as well. It definitely shares that. Uh, so my foray into Curb Your Enthusiasm has been in uh, a, a pursuit to find the funniest sitcom to me, which I think Curb Your Enthusiasm has some of my personal, like, biggest laughs throughout the series. And uh, it's really just because you watch the lunacy of Larry David as he as he lives his daily life, and very occasionally the craziness that is around him. Uh, but more often than not, he is the problem in his own life, which is hilarious. The big thing, most recently, we've got, like, I think season 11 is the most recent season. And <laughs> for me, they kind of jumped the shark because there's this episode where he has to he's up, he goes to this country club all the time and goes golfing with his uh, agent and other people. It's like how you make shows happen and other things like that in Hollywood, apparently. That's and how so we got makes, this podcast off the ground. That is how we did that. Um, someone made a deal with a pastor and then they gave us the funding to do this podcast. Because Larry David made a deal with a rabbi that if he sunk like a putt from an insane distance on the green, he would uh, go to Temple. And of course, he loses that bet because he has to. <laughs> but um, it, it it continues and he ends up, he goes to this coffee shop because he's he was at the eye doctor's earlier, got eye drops in his eyes, can't see what he's doing, bumps into a Klansman that was going to a rally in town and he spills coffee all over their um, their robe. So he takes it upon himself to get the robe dry cleaned because he fucked up rather than just saying fuck you to the Klansman. So when he gets to the dry cleaners, it is run by a Jewish man who has a problem with cleaning a Klan robe, but he convinces him to do it. And then lo and behold, when Larry goes to pick it up, it's not there because that guy destroyed, presumably destroyed the robe. And so he has to get... <laughs> his agent's wife, because she's a seamstress, to hand-create a robe for this Klansman. <laughs> and he, she only does it because he did her the favor of taking the rabbi to the golf course in the first place. But then she sews a Star of David into the back of it, so when the guy goes to his next rally, he gets the shit beat out of him. But the entire premise like that, that whole story arc in and of itself is such a ridiculous thing. Like, I can't imagine anyone feeling remorse for spilling coffee on a Klansman's robe. Like, that's Bojack too far joke. for me. Yeah. That's a Bojack joke. That's that's a cartoon. And it sounds fantastic. I, I couldn't disagree with you more. It's ideal. That sounds like <laughs> I, a great episode. In some circles, I'm sure that could be... Could, there's a whole other plot with, like, Woody Harrelson and... Um, the, the crimes that are done in producing milk, uh, that's its own thing that also ties into the Klansman and his ranch. <laughs> but, like, the whole the situations that Larry gets into are because he has this these rules that he made up in his head that he doesn't think are made up, but he's, he's compelled to follow. And so, like, there's a whole series-long thing, or a, a season-long thing, where there's this guy called Mocha Joe and he's got a coffee shop, and he's the, the best coffee in town because he's, he's got the beans. And <laughs> uh, there's a feud where Larry is so incensed by being banned from this guy's shop, he makes like a spite store 
right next door where he sells better coffee. And so that inspires all of LA for people who are offended to like make these other stores. But then through a series of unfortunate events that occur to Larry, his shop burns down and the way things happen, it looks like arson to the cops. So he almost goes to jail for that. <laughs> all these ridiculous things that can only happen to Larry David. Daniel, do you like, do you think it's the funniest show because you identify with, with Larry David so much? When I first started watching the series, I, I could see Larry's logic. I could I could identify with Larry's logic. Yeah. And that made it even funnier to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a point where Larry starts becoming too crazy. And it's not that the humor necessarily falls away. But the right, identity. you just agree with him too much. <laughs> Even more than you're not supposed to, right? Right. <laughs> like it works the opposite direction. Now, it's just that that show has some of the most comedic moments because parts of it are so off the wall. Or like the entire town of Los Angeles gets so mad at Larry because he, he stuck his legs out too far in a basketball game and Shaq breaks his ankle or something, you know? <laughs> It's a great episode. It's so good. It's it's really a great show. I, I haven't seen nearly as much of the new season as you have. I watched a little bit and I loved it. I've still got a ways to go. And um, I don't know if I'll be able to get to the end. But we'll see. It's got high hopes. And, uh, you know, a comedy legend writer like Larry David. It's going to have better jokes, I'm sure, throughout. And speaking of having high hopes, our next topic on the docket is actually the documentary about Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete. Oh, wait, I'm a, I read that wrong. It's The Witcher Season 2. John? Okay, so... Uh, uh... <laughs> How is that for a transition? Can I co-host? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I did um, it. I started and finished The Witcher Season 2. Netflix show started starring... Henry Cavill as our favorite little little white haired boy. Um I'm starting to pull on uh on our episodes who's the hottest white haired boy. So so far we have in the running uh Jack Frost, uh John Luke Picard, and now oh 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 and uh Larry David and now yeah. Jerry David. <laughs> From The Witcher, um, I'd like to throw in Dante. Dante is also very hot. Uh, and so, Virgil. And Virgil, I uh, I have a really weird brain. When I want to start something, my brain does not let me start at the point that I want to start at. I have to go back to the beginning because I don't want to miss out on anything. My uh, my obsession with The Witcher started with I want to play Witcher three. So that made me go back and read all of the books, Witcher season two and Witcher season one. Those uh those follow the book. Season one follows the short stories, and season two is your proper introduction into the the novels following the first book, Blood of Elves. Um and I really liked Witcher season two. Um there are some changes that it does but uh the big changes it does 
don't really have that big of a bearing on the story. Um, and I like The Witcher. Uh, it is a book with really strong uh, themes and character moments, uh, but its narrative is not its strong suit. So the more they change and the more they make their narrative cohesive, the better, because uh, the author is definitely a man who thrives making short stories, and I think that his long-form novels suffer because of that. He gets to the end of, like, uh, whatever chapter, and you wrap up your little chapter in a nice little bow, and then he does not know how to go between that and the next thing. So I think the the show is doing a good job uh, kind of wrapping things together in a satisfying way. It also is just, you know, like the two people that carry that show are Geralt, and uh, in this season, actually, Siri. I did not like Siri in the first season. Siri is my favorite really? Witcher character. She's just like, they don't know what to do with her because, once again, it's a bunch of short stories that uh, they're trying mm-hmm. to blend together in that first season. And I- I'm, I'm always a really big fan of the pre witching Cirilla as well. I just, I like, I don't think there's a kind of Siri I don't like. I just I I feel like they just didn't know what to do with her because she she by extension uh shows up when Geralt is there because Geralt's your your main character and in those short mm-hmm. stories he's your lens into that world with those short stories. So Cirilla yeah. only exists when Geralt is there in those short stories. So it didn't work out nearly as well and there's a whole theme um in the book of them meeting each other over and over again and like the whole witcher book two is this really good like breakdown that Geralt's just kind of a weird guy and he really doesn't know how to be a witcher like he uh claims Siri through the law of surprise which is generally how witchers find their little witcher boys and bring them back to the castle uh and uh-huh. uh all through the second book is these encounters that he has by chance with Siri in these random locations. And every single time it's just like, are you going to take this kid? And he's like, uh, uh, I don't know what it means to be a dad. So he keeps like shoving it aside, even though he knows he should. And like, you start seeing the fall of Sentra, you start seeing uh Nilfgaard marching and he still will not take this kid. And then after, uh, Sintra has fallen, and he presumes Siri to be dead. He ends up meeting her, and that's when he's like, okay, I cannot escape you. I can't escape destiny. Every, like, weird uh, mystic person is telling me, you're my destiny. I need to be able to have you. Like, you have to be part of my life, but I'm so unwilling to do that. And then the right. end of those short stories is, okay, I'll do it. Um. So I feel like that first season, they really didn't know what to do with Sorella. I thought that they did Jennifer great. I thought they did uh, Yaskier or Dandelion great. Um, and I thought they did Geralt great. But I just, I did not feel like Siri worked. But in this season, she comes in. She gels well with Geralt. Um, she's hanging out with all the witch boys and 
that works out really well. And I just found everybody more likable in this season. The the standout person for for uh this show though is definitely Joey Beatty who plays Yaskier. He is my all time favorite. Uh, he's a delight. He's a delight, and uh, he might be one of the best live action comic relief characters. He, if so, that makes sense. Ha- have you seen season two yet, James? I've seen the first three episodes. So there is a I've point. The whole thing. There is a point where, uh, in season one, Geralt and Yaskier don't leave on the best of terms, and your introduction into uh, uh, Yaskier in this season is you show up at a bar that he's performing at, and he's just singing a big breakup song because he's so hurt that him and him and Geralt have broken up. And he's the Taylor Swift of The Witcher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kinda. He, uh, kinda. he <laughs> and yes, Geralt are my 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 big pairing for the show. I love them together. I just want, <laughs> <laughs> I want them to finally realize their feelings for each other and just kiss. <laughs> but uh, I I I liked where it was going. Um, I've been talking to a lot of people at work about this, and everybody has the same sort of consensus that. Everything to do with uh, Geralt and Siri training and all of that is good. Like, there's a lot of good themes of becoming a father because that's what Geralt's story is: is this reluctant father that has to come in and and take ownership of his daughter. And even at the end, like, there's this really awesome scene where I'm not gonna say who, but uh, something has happened. Uh, and it's Geralt rushing up on a bunch of people, and like uh, somebody has taken Siri, and uh, Geralt shows up with like a little band of dwarves, and the dwarves <laughs> haven't met <laughs> met Siri yet, and he holds like the sword uh, up to the the person that took Siri, and one of the dwarves is like, oh my. It, is that your daughter? And it's just Geralt looking at this person that took Siri, and he like makes his guttural growl, and he's like, "Mine," because he just he loves that little girl so much. Uh, and I think they did really well with that. Everything to do with like this big grand destiny overarching world story. Eh, it's the same thing I feel about the books. I think relationships and characters. Uh, are done strongly. Story, not so much. I definitely, I, I, I think it's a good adaptation. I like that they're changing things. So, you know, it, it, it's good. Uh, I really, I, I liked The Witcher season two, but like, I can't say that I liked it like you did. Um, I thought I liked the first season more, and that, and that's mostly based on like when the when i was done watching it i didn't feel i didn't know i was done watching it before it didn't really feel like it had a season finale kind of just ended like it felt like there's more episodes after that and then there just kind of wasn't i don't know like it it didn't really have a good transition there i kind of disagree i feel like it left on a big cliffhanger of where is this approaching with uh the reveal at the end is you know without getting into spoilers I think that this whole season definitely had a feeling of setup, but I think with that ending, it definitely, I felt like, oh, what's going to happen next? I know what's going to happen 
next because I read the books, but I still had that sort of feeling with that last scene with the dude, with the guy. Yeah. I don't know, just, it's, it didn't feel complete. It didn't feel like a finished season to me. That, that's just how I felt about it. But one of my, <laughs> my favorite, I think my favorite moment in the entire, in the entire uh, season was uh, when Geralt and Yes, Gear reunite and they just have this huge bromance moment. And they just like love each other. It's pretty strong. Yeah. And then for some reason, he's shirtless. I'm like, okay, <laughs> they're going to do it. They're going to fuck. I just, I, I need them to kiss Skylar. That's all I <laughs> it's the, they're, they're just, it's so, it's the best. It's, they're so strong. I just love how salty Yaskier is about everything. Cause they even well, have should that. Be. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> he got done really dirty. <laughs> he did get done really <laughs> dirty. And I'm going to say, uh, I know everybody really likes toss a coin to your witcher. Um, I really <laughs> like that second song much more. Can we talk about the that one? Like they used it once, and it wasn't like in the show. It was like a, I think it was the in, intro song to the second episode. It was just really good. The intro song to the second episode. Uh, I think it's the second episode. Uh, but it's definitely Askew singing, and it's but it's playing during one of the intros or something. Like none, none of the there's nothing actually happening on screen except for like black uh background with the Witcher logos. Oh, I. I have to go back and watch that. I think I skipped all of the intros. I think I, well, I'm, I could be wrong, but I just remember it being part of an intro, but it was really good. I was like, oh, this song slaps. Yeah. I, Joey Beatty um, is a actual folk musician. Um, he's part yeah. of, uh, uh, what's it? The Amazing Devil. Um, they are like a, this feeling of like this medieval folk uh, duo and they are so good you guys should definitely check out the amazing devil like i the two reasons i go to the witcher show is i think henry cavill really channels like his love for the witcher games in there and i i just love joey Beatty more than life itself i love his music i love his uh his role in the witcher um definitely go check out his stuff outside of the witcher because it is so good um it could be better no, by it, making more yeah yeah i they just uh released a new album actually um oh yeah, yeah does he have more cringy cosplay on it uh he's his cosplay isn't cringy i love him it's Don't, cringy in the good way i would i would date that man um well it's i listen it's cringy <laughs> Uh, I didn't say it was a bad cringy. So I'm going to move into the next topic from a monster hunter to a demon slayer. (laughs) You're so excited about these transitions. It's our animation expert, Ben Thomas. Give us a a demon slayer breakdown. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, So uh, it's been a real cool minute since I've watched a show in an anime. Um, just haven't gotten around to it. I'm gonna eventually get to watching Attack on Titan. Watch that all the way through. Um, but um, yeah, it's been a long time since I've watched a shonen anime, and you know, the past one or two years has been pretty, pretty obsessed with Demon Slayer, and so figured uh should give it a shot so uh me and rachel put it on and 
Um, yeah. So we uh, we watched all of season one, and then we watched the film uh, Mugen Train, which is now, I believe, the highest grossing anime film in Japan. In terms of uh, season one, uh, really, the show is just about this kid named, oh, gosh. His name his is name? Tanjiro. Like, yeah. Yeah. Tanjiro. Tanjiro. And basically, his whole family is killed by a demon um, other than one of his sisters. And so when you uh, basically demons eat people, um, but if you get um, demon blood um, put into like a wound or something like that, like if you accidentally take in demon blood, you become a demon as well. And so his whole family is murdered other than his sister. And so she becomes a demon and the whole show is about um tanjiro um basically um trying to find a cure for his sister um and in order to do that he has to become a demon slayer and uh yeah it's pr pretty pretty straightforward um shonen anime plot um what i would say is you know like the inciting incident really successful that first episode is very successful like uh pulling you in it definitely, the show definitely sometimes in that first season suffers a little bit from shonen anime pitfalls, um, where you kind of lose a little bit of interest here and there. Maybe there's, there's, there is a really big problem with over explaining everything that's happening, where like you could see visually what is happening and they wouldn't have to explain it to you. But, but since it's a shonen anime, it's like the characters have to be like, what? He's doing this now? And now it's causing this thing? Wow. Like, you know, you always have to have over-explaining for some reason, um, which is kind of annoying. Um, but, yeah, um, Tanjiro meets up with um, two other demon slayers eventually, and uh, best boy out of those is Inosuke uh, Hashibira. Uh, he is awesome i love him so much he wears a skinned boar's head and he's great he's loud and obnoxious and he thinks he's awesome and anytime a character is like that i just fall in love with that character and yeah, he's angry is, uh, and big he's, he, he's he is basically hanamichi sakuragi from <laughs> slam dunk he sounds like vegeta He's no, he's 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 not like bitter angry. He's just he gets, <laughs> he's just angry. He's normal angry. Yeah, he's normal angry. He's not like oh everything is awful or something. He's just he he's there's this part <laughs> in Mugen Train where like um uh some slight spoilers um but basically this train gets derailed and he jumps off the train to go to um Tanjiro and he's like. Oh my gosh, are you okay? I got over here as soon as I could, so I jumped off the train. It was pretty cool, right? Like, <laughs> like there's a pause in everything. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I would say, like, the first season's pretty standard fare for shonen anime. I mean, it, it gets you invested in the characters. Tanjiro is a sweet boy being a sweet boy. Um, oh, shoot. And also, freaking. Inosuke, when he takes his mask off, he's like a gorgeous man. I love it. <laughs> he's absolutely gorgeous. It's awesome. I love it. Then last night, actually, um, me and Rachel um, watched Mugen Train. If you are going to watch Demon Slayer, you have to watch the movie Mugen Train. It's a direct tie-in and canon 
to the manga. It's just it was made into a movie instead of um, being inside of the show. That's when uh, uh, Rengoku shows up. Goku shows up. Rengoku. And oh my goodness. This man is one of the best anime characters just ever. It's he's so good. Um he's 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 loud and he smiles all the time. No matter what his no matter what he's like feeling. <laughs> um he just smiles all the time. There's the introduction to his character is he's sitting on the train and he just takes a bite and after every bite he just shouts delicious. <laughs> it's kind of great. Basically, the movie is about basically a demon has um, sort of um, taken over this train. He's um, causing everybody on the train to go to sleep so that he can take them as hostages. Yeah, that's uh, without getting too spoilery, because I definitely recommend this movie. Basically, that's the plot. But then towards the end of the movie, there's about 30 minutes where a new villain is introduced. But basically, up until this point, I was like, yeah, it's a pretty good movie, like uh, pretty much on the same um, quality as the show. So like it was, I was like, yeah, it's like a it's like a three and a half stars out of five movie. It's pretty good. Um, the last 30 minutes of this movie devolves into probably some of the best shonen anime action um, storytelling I have ever seen. Um, the last 30 minutes of this movie is literally perfect. And it's got an emotional core to it. It's really moving and inspirational. Basically, everything you want out of a shonen anime is just condensed and just saturated in this last 30 minutes of this movie. And so I would definitely give that a watch. It's So they added Super Saiyan? Nice. No, they did not add Super Saiyan. But they made it amazing. It's absolutely phenomenal. All of the characters are super likable. Um, but yeah, I would definitely uh, suggest giving it a watch. I haven't watched the second season of Demon Slayer yet, so I don't know if it like just falls apart and becomes terrible or something. But um, yeah, as for right now, I definitely give that a watch. Um, I also, huh? Would would this be a good like starting point for anybody who hasn't seen Demon Slayer? Would you recommend um, going into this movie without having watched that first season? No, no. Um, it is a direct continuation of the season. Um, I would just start on season one and then get to Mugen Train. Um, I wish I could recommend it as just being its own standalone. Like, if you don't want to get fully invested in the story, like, you could watch it. You would have to kind of piece together what's happening a little bit. But um, if you just want to watch something that shows really good shonen anime, like, sure, you could start there if you wanted to. Um, yeah, so far it's it's pretty dang good. Okay, but, well, yeah. let's go from demons to medical dramas. Uh, ben, you watched The House MD. Uh, this is the continuation of Dr. House, where he's come back and he's changed his first name to The He's a House. primordial being. <laughs> yeah. It's called The House. He, uh, 
he he's changed um, his appearance, but he's still back to solve some wacky cases. Medical he's just, cases. He's some kind of demon that exists to eat Percocet and Vicodin, which is, I think, the scariest kind of demon. <laughs> the only way to stop him is to leave uh, Percocet outside of your, your door. He won't come and bother you. Yeah. It's also definitely just going to bother you anyway. Yeah, it, it's more of a... It's more of like makes you feel better. It doesn't stop anything. No. Doesn't stop a damn thing. Um... <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I, I, I watched this film called The House, um, a Netflix original. Um, it's a uh, three-part anthology stop-motion uh, film. And so it's from three unique uh, directors, but they all use the same uh, house as a prop. In three different stories that are not related at all. Um, it's just sort of like spiritually in the same vein, sort of similar to like Robot Carnival, where it's like um, every every anthology short film in Robot Carnival, you just have to have some form of technology, some form of a robot, and then you just go off and do your own thing. The house is um, very intriguing. It's um, it's. It unfortunately falls into the problem of the first of the anthology series by far being the best. And so you start it like really high up. And then like, at least in my experience, my interest as it kept going after that first short just kind of went into a slow decline. Um, and so I'm just going to go over each of these parts just super duper fast. Um, nothing crazy. But um, part one, uh, which was directed by Emma Dasoff and Mark James Rolls, the characters are made out of like, like, they must be made out of like felt or something. Um, they're very cloth-like. The tone of this is basically this family who's really poor. They're told like, hey, you can move into this house for free, but you just have to live there. Like you, you we have to destroy your house and then we have to let you live there. And so they move in, and the guy who's building the house is still building the house when they move in. And basically, the house is constantly changing. The, the, the constructor is changing rooms. He's taking down stairs. He's, he's, he's making this house, like, labyrinthine. Like, it's just changing all the time. And so it's like this sort of really cool horror vibe. Um, that's um, really quaint and quiet, but also has like this dark sort of undertone to the whole thing. Um, really intriguing, um, a really good time. Um, but yeah, definitely my favorite of the three. Uh, and then the second one, uh, part two, is directed by Nikki Lindroth von Barr. Uh, I've seen some of von Barr's work before this, um, but like I didn't know that she directed this. But like pretty much right into it, I was like, this really looks like von Barr's work. And so it was no surprise at all to find out that it was directed by her. Second one is about this. Um, anthropomorphic mouse he's trying to sell his house um 
he's like spent all of his life savings into this house to be able to sell it so he could like make like millions of dollars on it. But then unfortunately there's just a huge infestation of bugs in his house. And it's like such a gross, darkly like comedic short that like you just kind of, it ends and you're just kind of like, ew, that made me feel really gross. Um, but really it's also fantastic as well. The, the, the final minutes of it are just like disturbing. Um, part three directed by Paloma Beza is probably the weakest of the three. I don't think it's a weak short. It just, I didn't, it was the one I got the least out of is what I would say. It's about, um, basically it's about an anthropomorphic cat who, um, basically she's renting out this big house to like three of her friends. She's trying to renovate the house so that she can sell it eventually and move away. But her friends are like, I don't want to stay here. Like basically this third one is in a world where it's like flooding, like the whole world is flooding. And so this house is slowly going more and more underneath uh, the water. Um, and so it's like this whole allegory of like being able to like let go and like your house is not your home. Um, your home is where your friends are. Your home is where um, relationship is basically. Um, it's cute, um, but I, I probably got the least out of the third one out of all of them. Overall, the house definitely worth a watch. Um, I would just say like, if you want to stop at the first short, like by all means, go for it. I thought it was the best and legitimately one of my favorite things I saw or that I've seen this year. Okay, we're going to keep this animation train rolling, going into Smiling Friends. This is uh, the newest, uh, I think, Studio Ghibli film with uh, directed by Goro Miyazaki. So it, it could be a hit. Oh, us. cool. Um, so, so <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that he's getting the, you know, it, it's so frequently his, his, his projects are sort of the ones that take hits coming out of the studio, but it, it, it it seems like this one's really taken off. I've heard a lot about it. So, uh, Danny, yeah. how do you uh, find this? Does it stack up well to the, the manga? Well, the thing is, uh, they really kind of took a left turn in the animation department because there's a lot of mixed media in here, which, you know, that uh, that breaks away from what you would expect out of a Studio Goblin production here. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> um, no, this is... Uh, you've got two, I would say internet heroically creative geniuses, Zach Hadel and Michael Cusack, um, Newgrounds uh, veterans in, in their own right. And so they've been doing this a very long time. And so Adult Swim picked them up for a series, which I just saw as also getting a, a season two, which I am excited for. But uh, a long time ago, I guess over a year now, the pilot came out and it was weird to see I, something so uh, parts of it are what I would describe as that family guy humor where you're kind of shotgunning things at the wall and seeing what sticks. But then the other half of it is just completely off the wall, surrealist, like some of it's so dark 
that it like breaks your neck when it comes in out of nowhere. Uh, the premise is there's these guys that work for this company, and so they are smiling friends. They they need to bring joy to people. And in the pilot episode, there's this guy who's just been depressed forever, and his mom actually calls in for him. And they go, and he's literally holding a, a giant fucking revolver to his head, and they have to try and cheer him up. And <laughs> in their endeavors, it almost doesn't pan out until this guy coincidentally finds his purpose by blowing away uh, these pests that show up in their office. It's really good to see people who have success in the internet make it to the mainstream and they don't really compromise what is at their core to be successful to a broader audience. You know, I would say that this is still uh, very clearly has touch marks from them because uh, the other thing that Michael Cusack has done that I, I like to talk about is um, the Bush World Adventures, which is a parody of Rick and Morty. And that's a hilarious bit. I love its own Bush right. World Adventures <laughs> so much. That uh, that was something that, was it just a YouTube thing or was it on Adult Swim proper? feel like it was on Adult Swim. Adult I'm Swim does sure. fun experimental stuff and uh, Bushland Adventures is such a treat. He's not afraid to go wherever he wants with the animation quality, too. Like, it's really just... <laughs> he's showing you what he wants to show you. And in Smiling Friends, they do a lot of that same sort of thing. Uh, they're gonna take you to the the darkness and the inner workings of their mind, and they're also gonna try and hit you with jokes that you probably wouldn't expect to try and see in other shows. And so over the course of their uh, eight-episode season one, it's up on HBO Max now, if you want to watch, which I would definitely recommend. But uh, it's definitely not for everyone, I would say. <laughs> it's It's got that flavor to it where ooh, it might turn you off if you're not ready for that sort of surrealist kind of, I would say, manic humor to a show. <laughs> but it's it's a, I don't know, it's not necessarily a breath of fresh air, but it is something very, very new and uh, exciting in my eyes in the comedy animation world that we've been meeting. It, it, it's kind of rare, and uh, me and Danny kind of talked about this before uh, the start of the episode, is all of us grew up with, like, that new grounds crew to some bit like it, it was part of our our formative years um and to see something like that that has that very like new grounds humor making it to a more mainstream platform is just it's so cool to see that that break out in that way i mean i know that with uh zach especially um him and uh, Chris O'Neill, for the longest time, had been trying to get like uh, the Hellbenders mm -hmm. picked up, and being able to see like that happen. Not only is that like so cool to see our our parasocial friends uh, achieve that, but also like just seeing that humor uh, get brought to something to a more mainstream platform is it's such a cool thing to experience. It's also pretty surreal. Yes, yes, 
it's to, like to see jokes i know the foundations of that are so painfully internet in there and i mean just things that i thought just could not make it to air and uh actually no it's fine it's it's a joke a joke is funny regardless of whether or not you see the fundamentals on new grounds or on comedy central so that's that's all i mean it's it's weirdly like breaking barriers not to put too too much importance on this uh on this dumb tv show <laughs> it you know i i think we all firmly like we're we're at least tangentially in that like feeling of being creative types and we don't necessarily subscribe to being in making a tv show or making movies is the end all be all in the highest form you can get it's just another medium at least in in my opinion um like i think there's the same amount of value i put in like a a youtube short to like a feature length film i think they both show you know the same sort of like amazing levels of creativity they're just different mediums you're making them for different mm -hmm. things but it is really cool to see something break from one medium and go to the next it is uh it, it's just it's just a weird moment for i'm sure a lot of us to be able to see that finally happen right for sure and i'd say that it's it's something that comes so off the wall that i think we kind of needed because when it, at the start of all this covid pandemic stuff and even to an extent, even still, there's all of like that wokeness culture and trying to cancel things and that kind of um, it gave everything a more clean sort of feeling. Like there's a lot of jokes that people were afraid to make anymore. And so now you've got a character who is threatening to blow his fucking brains out if these guys can't make him smile. And like that is something that wouldn't have happened lately. And it's just a, a return to form, I feel like, for Adult Swim Productions to kind of get that sort of edgy humor back out there. Whether or not we needed it, I feel like it's something that people have been missing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it all it all sounds really cool. And, uh, you know, it, there's a little bit of looseness to, to their style, it sounds like. So I think it's a little, it's some... It's time for bringing in a little uh, law and order into our world. James, take it away. So during the pandemic, I needed something to watch where I wasn't thinking about uh, all the personal tragedies and disasters and also the worldwide tragedies and disasters and the fiscal tragedies and disasters and the sports tragedies and disasters. I mean, as someone who is a Mariners fan, and someone who uh, doesn't necessarily like the the global hegemon that is capitalism, there's a lot of issues that I had in early 2020. So I decided to watch Law and Order because I don't like cops, and I thought it would be funny. And uh, it turns out it's a great show. So that was kind of tragic. I I don't have anything to make fun of, but I did find what I think is going to be a lifelong obsession of. Law and Order Special Victims Unit and the original and organized crime whole umbrella. So I put a couple of images in the general chat a while ago. Just it's a silly little rack focus from a random episode of the first season. 
And when you said that you wanted to talk, you wanted to make a podcast about talking about just general media, whatnot, and certain things we like. I just want to point out this show, this episode, this random nonsense episode of uh, 90s cop drama has this like fun, quirky little rack focus. And it's nice to see something that's fun and dumb that's still willing to make like really genuine craft moves that's kind of caught me off guard because i see a lot of sort of popcorn television now if that makes sense just not something i mean something that you wouldn't consider literature uh and it reminds me that just because it's a legal procedural doesn't mean that you can't still shoot it like a movie doesn't mean that you can't still shoot it in interesting ways and I thought that was doing I sort of law and orders on here because I want to ask you guys about this. Do you guys have these like just weird little quirks like like you're going back through and now we have a little bit of time to sit around and just watch old dumb nonsense and figure out like what we still like about it. Like instead of law and order, I could have just easily put Golden Girls or MASH or any of the old shows that I love. But Law and Order for me, it's sort of a new thing. It's coming back in a big way. Yeah, I uh, I think, um, in the sense of like I I I have gotten into a relationship and we we've been together now for oh over a year and like hey, congrats. I'm 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 getting that same sort of feeling where it's like I'm going back and going through my catalog of things I watched mm-hmm. and and showing it to my partner and it's the same sort of thing as like even small things that like are you know even like comfort shows for me just sitting back and showing them that that uh that media and falling in love with it all over again as like this was my comfort show I totally get that and I had a lot of that during the start of the pandemic where it was like, I have so much more time uh, on my side because I just cannot go outside. I just physically can't. Um, I, and just like, I can't for any number of reasons, <laughs> be they legal, emotional, uh, security, safety, that kind of thing. Uh, uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I, 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 I most recently have been doing that and we'll get into that a little bit later with, uh, Pokemon is like that feeling of it's like meeting up with an old friend you haven't talked to in a while. You uh you talk to them and <laughs> you uh you kind of discover how how much fun it was uh hanging out with them again, you know? Like yeah. Same sort of feeling. The the thing that kind of really inspired me is uh <laughs> is I kind of wanted to make the joke earlier but but there was like a real discussion that had to happen. I I also went back and watched not the house, but house. This is the actual one that we were making joke about. And at first it's really interesting to watch, and then it just gets flat. And then it's just, let's have a medical mystery. Oh, here's a character moment. Here's the one character moment that you'll have all episode. Okay, time to the next episode. It wasn't Lucas. It's like a 
it's just gets dull. It's monotonous. I can't. I've gotten to the point where I can't stand monotonous television, which is nice. It's kind of nice to be bougie about it. Yeah, yeah. And like uh, the thing about, I'm sure, like Law and Order being this big serialized uh, 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 TV show. It's made a couple of billion dollars (laughs) on the backs of being the same television show Mm -hmm. over Um, a thousand times. we've, We've all worked like day jobs um me and me and james have worked in television nothing as grand as law and order i i can assure you oh yeah and so did skylar uh oh yeah but but like it's so easy to to fall in our defense skylar did a different thing than the thing that john and i yeah me i'm gonna throw that out there me and james are in the same department uh, but uh, it's very easy to fall into that sort of feeling of like, you know, some some weeks you come in and you're like, oh, my God, I want to like reinvent what I'm doing. I want to work really hard and uh, kind of put it all out there. And then some other weeks you're just like, I'm this is my nine to five. I, I'm i going to push the button that I'm supposed to push and. That's about it. That's and about it. Yeah. Finding, especially that example with the rack focus, like there's still people there that has that sort of passion to be like, no, I want to do something good with this, even though it is still kind of my nine to five. You know, I think right. that that's also super special to find in media like that. And I've made a promise to you guys not to talk about, not to do my uh, traditional. I have an English degree thing. So let's talk about the history of the medium, too. Uh, In 1990, every show was a cop show, basically. Like, they all essentially were uh, hour-long police procedurals, usually on NBC. And so you still get these great moments where it's these... I mean, now they're like world-renowned actors showing up and doing what was basically uh, low-rent television. And... It's so nice to see something that really cares about the product. That's that's really delightful. There's a, there's a lot of shows. I would say most of the things on the list that we're talking about here are like that too. So that's really nice. It, it's it's kind of nice to go through and curate what you've actually seen and talk about. Oh, this was worth a damn. This was nothing. This was I need to kill an hour. Okay, so with that, that brings us to. This week's episode's mystery segment, and I know we've all been waiting for this one. Um, because we were all talking about detectives and stuff, right? Um, so now it's yeah, it's, it's all about mysteries now. Um, and uh, this mystery segment is brought to you by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> our mystery segment this week is going to be called Ben's House of God. So we've got uh, four subjects here that are going to be headed by Ben that are incredibly, incredibly religious in theme. So I'm going to list those off and then I'm going to leave Ben to kind of go into it because Ben's our our resident uh, religious studies major. Um, uh, So 
in this is in no particular order. Uh, I'll let Ben take it away because this is his House of God segment. I promised him one segment per episode. What? Um, I don't know what's happening. So we have uh, Devil Man. Oh, okay. We've got yeah. Midnight Mass. Uh, we have Carnival of Souls. And we have Paddington 1 and 2, all very religious. Let's oh take gosh. it away for Ben Thomas's House of God segment. Uh, okay. Uh, um, okay. So uh, I watched uh, the Devilman OVA uh, 1 and 2. Um, pretty much a super famous adaptation of the Devilman series, uh, the OVA series that started uh, in the late 80s and went only until the early 90s. They only made two episodes um, because after that, OVAs, um, which meant original video animation, um, they kind of fell off in Japan, and so they didn't really get funding to continue the Devilman story. Um, Devilman 1 pretty much perfect um i love Devilman crybaby um i think it's a great show um but i can totally understand if somebody didn't like that show because of how idiosyncratic uh the director masaki iwasa is um but this Devilman adaptation is pretty much a straight line from uh go nagai's original um, it's a more 80s uh, art style, um, really incredible animation throughout. Um, second one is um, okay, um, not quite as good. Still great animation, but it, it kind of feels like there's a disconnect between the first one and the second one. But yeah, definitely check those out. Um, Midnight Mass um, by Mike Flanagan, um, probably my favorite show of 2021. Um, absolutely loved it. Um, I know a lot of people had problems with, um, the dialogue and the monologues in the show. Um, it felt very, um, long and slow for a lot of people. I think that that's sort of the stuff that I loved the most about the show. Characters are all really good. Maybe some meh acting here and there an awesome show just kind of dealing with the afterlife death what the point of life is um and then kind of putting that all into the subversion of an old um sort of uh horror folklore um i won't spoil it here because i really think it's important to not spoil it because you don't really know what's going on until like five episodes into this 10 episode series and so absolutely loved midnight mass um and then uh yeah carnival of souls um it's a horror movie from the 60s really the thing that stood out to me for this was that uh, carnival of souls really felt like a proto silent hill um the story is about this girl who She's an organ player at a church, and so she wants to do that for her whole life. She doesn't go to church for her faith or anything. She just goes as a job. She only sees it as a job. Um, 
But basically, at the beginning of the movie, she gets into a car accident with a bunch of other um, women her age, and she's the only one who survives. And then she goes off and um, starts to live her own life, but then uh, starts seeing these weird visions of uh, ghoul-like spirits and people who are like almost beckoning her to this place that's in this town that she moved to. It's an old abandoned carnival. And um, it's really slow paced, really gothic. It, it kind of it reads more so as like a sort of horror novella or something where it's like you're not like really scared of what's happening. You're just kind of wanting to soak in that horror atmosphere. Um, really enjoyed that film a lot. It's on the Criterion. If you want to watch it, um, go for it. And then we get to. Uh, the best movie that's ever been made, ever. Paddington 1 and 2. <laughs> I, it's, I just want to clarify, just in case anybody here or listening doesn't know. Yeah. Mathematically, the best movie ever made, Paddington 2. Correct. It had the highest um, rating on Rotten Tomatoes for, I, I don't know if it still has it, but it had it for a long while. I think they found a single negative review. Okay. There so I go. don't know. I can't tell. They also found a single negative review of uh, Citizen Kane, but that movie's like old and dumb and for dumb old bitches. And Paddington 2 is like new and hot for like people who are awesome. So I'm going to say Paddington 2 is mathematically still the best movie. All right. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Thank you for um, us. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I really felt like you were hyping me up there. Um, yeah, but how about you go back to your marmalade, buddy? <laughs> um, I'm just really, really briefly. I am going to sort of give thoughts on Paddington One. Um, Paddington One is a really cute family movie. It feels super British and quaint. There's some really interesting color choices uh, in that film and some compositional choices that are also interesting. Almost, um, almost Wes Anderson in a lot of ways. Um, not the whole movie is like that, but throughout Paddington One, I was just, I was like, busting out laughing like over and over and over. It's absolutely such a fun time. Really funny. Um, I guess the only thing that I would say is like the, the reason that it's not better in my mind is because after that I watched Paddington 2 and Paddington 2 legitimately is a uh, it might be a perfect movie. It really actually might be a perfect movie for what it's going for. Um, it's basically taking the formula of Paddington 1, except this time Paddington is framed by a washed-up actor played by Hugh Grant. That's pretty ironic. Uh, anyone isn't washed up. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, Hugh Grant's amazing. I want to he's, hear he's, he's 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 really good in it. He's 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 really great. But he's he's Paddington is framed, and so he gets taken into 
this prison where everyone hates him and Paddington is super sad. Um, but he befriends a chef named Knuckles. Um, spelled with an N. Spelled with an N. Oh, what's who is he played by? I always forget his name. Um, Brendan Gleeson. Oh my gosh, Brendan Gleeson knocks it out of the park. He's this super tough acting. Yeah, he's a super tough acting chef. Um, but then Paddington shares his um, <laughs> he shares his iconic orange marmalade with him, which changes Knuckles as a man. <laughs> And he's like, we need to make this all the time. And because Paddington is amazing, he makes everyone in the jail love him. There's this huge montage of the jail changing to where they're now in pink uniforms. There's a couple there's a couple inmates playing like jump rope with each other. The cafeteria becomes like this bougie restaurant because of the quality of film, uh, the quality of uh, food that they make for everyone. It's absolutely just adorable. Um, another thing that really sticks out is how much in the movie is set up that is immediately paid off. Um, basically, at the beginning of this movie, there's so many little things introduced that are like, oh yeah, this person's been doing this recently. This person's been doing this. And then all of that becomes relevant to the end of the movie um, in all of these constant setups and payoffs that are just so satisfying to watch. Basically, anytime I was like, I wish that they do this, they literally do it. And I've never seen a movie do that beat for beat ever with everything I've ever wanted in a movie. It was like, I by the end of it, I was just like, this is a perfect movie. And then the ending of the movie happens, and I won't spoil it because you should go see it. Paddington 2 is amazing. Um, there's this emotional sequence at the very end of the movie that legitimately made me just break down, bawling like a little baby. I was like... I was so overcome with how sweet the ending of this movie is and how rewarding of a film this movie is that I couldn't like help, but just ugly cry like for the last <laughs> 10 minutes of this movie. I absolutely love, I absolutely loved the ending of this movie. Um, yeah. Paddington might be the best kids movie that's been made in like, I don't know. Like it's it's been a hot it's it's been a hot minute since there's been a kids movie that I've seen that I'm like this is an amazing film. Like even even in terms of like the Lego movie, I think that this blows that out of the water. It's incredible. Also in again genre defying expectations. Uh to to deal with the religious aspect of this segment. <laughs> You know, you could say the Shawshank Redemption is a deeply Christian movie. The themes of redemption and uh, and uh, and forgiving ones for their sin. What is a better religious experience in prison? Paddington 2 or the Shawshank Redemption? Genuine question, right? I mean, 
if I'm really being honest, <laughs> Paddington 2 is one of the most emotionally rewarding and just loving films that I've ever seen. Paddington loves everyone. It's amazing. It, it, like, it makes you love every character. Every character loves Paddington. You love Paddington. You're just you're you're just in. It's it's the it's the movie equivalent of being just given a super long warm hug, like it's just so. It is such a sweet movie. I I I I can't sing its praises enough. I really can't. And that does it for this week's segment of Ben's House of God. And we saw uh, a lot of a lot of nice positive positive good Christian uh uh media here. But where we're going Three now of those four things I think were positive on Christian ooh, media. Where we're going now, there is no God to help us. He has long died in this world. And you know we need someone the there. Segment? Our next segment is we will go into the deprived, godless universe of Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Oh, yeah. A big, long Paddington hug has let go, and now you're surrounded by anxiety, I think. Did you guys <laughs> feel anxiety when you were watching Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared? Did you not? I, I, I think I might have done it wrong, because I was delighted. <laughs> What? <laughs> so okay, earlier this week I texted the the podcast uh pals and I was talking that we were talking like, oh what if you watch this week? What's something good to talk about? And I had just woken up. I, I, I work closer to the night shift, uh, and I was like, Well, it's like nine in the morning. I just binged Don't Hug Me, I'm scared. Uh, I guess I could talk about that. And Dan, I, I thought you were going to have a connection with him. I thought, you were I thought you were mad at me for having done that to myself. I'm still going to have a conniption, because don't tell <laughs> me I'm scared. Probably in, in my adolescent years, it was one of the first experiences I had with those uh, deep, like, almost creepypasta type, um, where you dive into... I would say anxiety-inducing emotions in some of those regards. Sure, um, sure. Because you've got, what, the five-episode series, essentially? Uh, you know, six. Long it is? Six. And when that first one came out, it kind of took the internet by storm, from my memory of, uh, of that. But I guess with you only entering into it now, uh, <laughs> I guess you're more prepared for that than I certainly was. Uh, I knew there would be a turn, but I didn't I didn't know what it would be and what it would be about. Because it turns pretty hard, I would say. It's some a, harder than others. It's a decently strenuous turn. Couldn't agree. Will you, will you go over, uh, give us an overview of each of those six, for those who no, don't remember? I can't. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't that prepared. Uh, the first one is a banger. It's uh, all about creativity. Uh, the second one is about time and how it's a thief in the night and it'll take everything that you know and love. Uh, the third is about making a new friend and the dangers of 
joining their social system. You know what? Maybe I did remember more about the show than I thought. Uh, never mind. Four, five, and six, I have absolutely no idea. I don't remember. Uh, the red feller disappears. Or the duck, the duck disappears. Yeah, the duck guy goes away when it's time to eat food, and he can't eat food with lots of color because it's deeply upsetting, and it, it your your teeth fall out or your teeth turn gray. And then the last one, uh, it's about like uh throwing off throwing off your 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 the psychosis of the self, your your sort of your your self perception and your fears and anxieties and either controlling them or working through them so that you can reach a place or you can even catch a glimpse of something that's happier. It's sort of uh you know, it's kind of like post-apocalyptic, but in a psyche sense. Does that yeah. mean anything to you? Uh, anyway, I don't really... The themes are whatever, you know, but the songs are bangers. <laughs> so really, you like the musical aspect of Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared more. I don't think there is a part of Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared I didn't like, but the music is very good. I thought it was really fun. <laughs> Did I do that wrong? <laughs> I uh, I I like the aspects in it that are, I mean, it's set up to be this deconstruction of of uh, child's media, uh, and taking that hard turn to like you know, kind of switch out of that whimsy that you know uh, a Blues Clues might have. Um, to avert your expectations, and I think that it does that well. And in that sort of sense, I feel like it's clever and fun in that way. I mean, it's set up to be fun. Into look how much fun we're talking about existentialism, where nothing really matters. Mm-hmm. So I could see a little bit of fun there. I uh, uh, I would say I'm notorious for having a lot of fun with programs that are not intended to be a great time <laughs> like i don't know i think david lynch is a great director you know because he's really good at making those weirdo movies <laughs> and also because he yeah. uh, directs the hell out of some comedy it's it's very good very funny we're gonna stay on youtube shorts uh mm-hmm. and we are gonna move from don't hug me i'm scared a a sort of parody of children's cartoons and head to the next thing of shorts, which is just children's cartoons. Uh, I've been running down like this rabbit hole of Pokemon lately. New game came out. I really like that new game. Um, we're going to talk about that l- later, but we're going to talk about I've just been in a frenzy to get like good Pokemon media into my veins. And there's a few things I haven't done. One is going and watching Pokemon the origins. I love any sort of media that is like the Pokemon show that is not from Ash's point of view. Um, Just exploring this world of Pokemon is just really fun. So uh, to kind of uh, put my craving for Pokemon into 
my uh, uh, sporadic schedule because if I have any moment to myself, I'm just playing Pokemon Arceus. Uh, I went and watched these Pokemon shorts. It is the the first series is called Pokemon Generations, and I just finished uh, the second series called uh, Pokemon Twilight Wings. Uh, have you have any of you seen any of these? No, I, I don't believe I. I might have. There's the series where there's like I don't know if it is the Origins ones or like the Legends ones where there's like an episode for each basically gen that goes through like a different character yeah that, um that would be generations okay so i've seen those so uh, i i i want to shout out uh one or two specific episodes in generations um the first one and i don't know what the name is but i can describe to you what happened it is such a visual treat it is a uh it it starts out with somebody walking through the Viridian Forest in the old Game Boy game, and it's just, you're seeing the Game Boy game, and then it goes into a battle, and uh, I want to say it's the trainer, he has like a Bulbasaur or something, and he's in the tall grass, and he comes across the Pikachu. And it goes to like him battling the Pikachu, he pulls out the Pokemon, this is all done in uh, the Game Boy uh art style and everything and he catches that pokemon and then you get a pull out to the actual animation and uh you still have like the menus and then the camera moves camera moves to him picking up the pokeball after the pikachu's been caught and he lets it out and the coolest thing about this is uh he lets it out and they're animating this pikachu off model he he looks mm. so cool because it's not your your normal Pikachu, and it's just like all of these little, uh, little like uh, events of this Pikachu who loves fighting, and it's him just fighting through like the different games. So like he goes in, and there's just these set pieces for each gen, and it's just a celebration of the Pokemon games. It is such a delightful treat. I recommend that so much. Like uh. It's, I want to say, like a three-minute watch. I would definitely go check that out. And that's the first episode. The second episode I want to uh, shout out for this particular Generation series is uh, the second episode. It, uh, it is a, a SWAT team coming down on the uh, Viridian... Is it the Viridian City? Yeah, the Viridian City gym. Uh and they're basically running in because they're going to go catch Giovanni. And once oh, again, nice. any time you see Pokemon not through the lens of Ash, it's just real cool. Like, they're, there's this SWAT team, and they're using, uh, like, these Pokemon to, like, break through walls. They use, like, a Magnemite to unlock an electric door. It's just all, like, <laughs> it's creative. It's using the rules of Pokemon and, like, using it as world building um and it's it, it like daniel was saying it's it's basically the celebration of all the games so it's like going into events that happened in the game but let's go in and animate it with like a really good production value and uh goes in and it's like right after uh your character in the game boy game 
and uh, Blue has gone in and beat him, and he just booked it. Um, really great, just like the world building of what it would be like to hang out and live with these uh, these monsters. Really cool. Recommend that. The next series is uh, the Pokemon uh, Twilight Wings, and this is a similar regard of its uh, uh, just these little these ones are about like six minutes each but uh, it's following the specifically the is it the Galar region the new Sword and Shield one um, and just going in and it starts off with uh, these these two kids in the they're in a hospital and these kids are like basically they're sick. They are potentially terminally ill. Um, there's not a huge chance they will make it out of this hospital. And it starts out with them watching a match between like that champion. I think his name is Leon or something like that. And uh, B, who is the best trainer of that region. Um, and it pulls out to like them, them watching this and them talking about how important that like that is to them. And it was it, it does that thing in media that I I I really enjoy is take this camera and move it to someplace else. Like we've seen trainers go in and go on their adventure and like be part of this grand story, but like just literally shifting this camera over to these two terminally ill kids and like their only instance of seeing Pokemon and seeing trainers and everything is through these television programs. It was such a, a cool, unique perspective on it. Um, and then the rest of it, like kind of follows this, uh, this kind of light narrative, uh, through line where you have the sick kids and the big thing that one of the sick kids wants to do is he wants to go see a Pokemon match in the stadium. So he like writes a letter to the big, guy who's running the 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 league and everything and it's about like him and him finally getting to go and do it but like each one is like you get a spotlight on one of the gym trainers uh and it was really cool because i have not played pokemon like an actual pokemon game properly um since like i kind of dipped my toes back into uh x and y uh, so I've been away from that. Like Pokemon was such a big thing when I was a kid, but I kind of shifted away from it, especially with everything being a lot more samey. Uh, and until Arceus, I haven't played anything. So I totally missed Sword and Shield, but like it just diving you into the world of Sword and Shield and making you like these characters, uh, is really cool. That second episode, and this will be the last one that I like properly talk about with this is it's uh it's b she uh in the first episode the match that they're watching with the champion it's facing her and she's a fighting gym trainer um and she loses and her big thing is like i don't want to lose i want to get stronger and it's just her and her uh machop machoke and machamp out in the wilderness training and like there's these fun choreographed scenes where like she's fist fighting her machamp um and it's really cool like i it it once again is doing something that like i feel like we don't see is like them actually training with the pokemon and it's just 
this nice short uh highlighting that and i recommend uh i recommend twilight wings more than generations but i recommend watching all of them so yeah i just wanted to shout out to those those were really really cool um so i i have a lot of love for this um i feel like this is potentially our one at least that i know of of what we talked about uh potentially negative review so let's go from love to hate into uh, uh hologram for a king for the king oh yeah baby let's go uh this movie is dull my god um so it's the first episode so you guys the audience probably doesn't know my taste quite yet uh i like movies that are sad and i like movies that are boring uh this movie is very boring and you might say well why would you want to talk about this boring dull movie that nobody remembers where tom hanks sells uh zoom to saudi arabia well i'll tell you why i like boring tom hanks movies i think the terminal is a fantastic movie it's one of my movies it's one of my top movies of the 2000s uh hologram for a king for the king has none of the charm it doesn't have any of the sort of smoldering wit that the terminal has it it's not saying as much about anything so saudi arabia it's sort of a fraught political situation we don't have to go into that here this is not the purpose of this podcast uh but it's just silent on generally everything about saudi arabia which is fascinating because the terminal is not the terminal is not quiet about the breakup of yugoslavia and the sort of hume uh, crisis for humanity that was uh hologram for a king for the king is a movie that kind of wants to be about cultural shock that stipulates that nothing is really different which is interesting it's obviously i mean people anywhere people there's not there's not a difference between I mean, just because somebody puts a couple of lines on a map doesn't make anybody really different than anybody else but hologram for the king thinks that's not true but also is trying to be a movie where that isn't the case because that's kind of a racist idea to make a movie about so hologram for the king is two movies it's the story of a, a businessman with a medical crisis mirroring a personal crisis in a foreign in a foreign land right sure decent serviceable movie he probably falls in love with the lady doctor at the end and that's true all that happens in the spoilers uh it's also a movie where you want to have a zany sidekick and it's like hilarious business foibles and gaffes but they're never really funny and it's just a movie that has so much in it and it's trying to say so many different things and it's saying them in a in a very dull monotonous way and then it ends it's really kind of tragic because i was very excited to watch this movie but it just mm -hmm. didn't come out in any 
meaningful way in any memorable way. Yeah, that that sounds that sounds kind of kind of crappy. I mean, especially like, I think it's there's I think it's a great little exercise, and we should all watch it. Okay, I mean, I I would love to say more on that. Like, I I can't like I hate that feeling of this thing has all this stuff together that I probably should like it. Oh, it's Tom Hanks gives a stellar performance because he always does. And I think it's one of the worst. The guy is, the guy is a generational force for acting. I mean, I'm truly, truly uh, uh, one of the modern greats. And he is just sort of, Formless. He has no real depth, no real change. It's uh, uh, I mean, he goes from being like nervous around Saudis to like, yeah. I mean, I'm still nervous around them, but I guess two of them are my friends, and like that's the plot. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but it's is it? But it's not even like offensive. It's not like because if I told you that was the plot of a movie. Tom Hanks is nervous around a group of people and then he makes two friends. Like, you would think that's a racist movie. It's not. <laughs> it doesn't really say anything about Saudis as people other than they're basically exactly the same, except for some of them are weird and some of them are rude, but not all of them are weird and rude. So I, I don't... It's nothing. It's it's nothing. It's It's a... Uh, I don't know. It's like a stale saltine of a movie. There's no bite, and it's there's no crunch, and it could be about so much, and it's just not. Hmm. Yeah. <sighs> um, well, Do you guys want to talk about the terminal? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. But Next I do week. want Next to talk week. about the biggest movie of did this come out last year or this year? Last the, year. This year. The biggest the movie year. of like two months ago. The biggest movie yeah. of two months ago. Um, I, I want to do a bigger episode on this and I want to talk about like this movie as how it stands up to the legacy of, uh, of the other movies that came before it. Uh, so we will mm-hmm. do a deep dive in a later episode of Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do is we will talk about the movie, what we thought of the movie. Um, I think it's a bigger conversation, and we will have that bigger conversation at a different time. But since this is something I think all of us have seen, this will be our I guess, longer form conversation. And with that, this will also be our last topic of today's episode. So um, how, how, how did you guys get on with uh, Spider-Man No Way Home? Fucking loved it, man. There we go. What? That's it. I don't really know what just happened. He said he loved it, but he used the F word oh. too. Oh. It was really echoey. It was like a lich appeared in <laughs> my room. Uh, 
the deeper dive thing is probably also a good thing to have later on because the movie actually comes out in like two weeks. Yeah, I uh, and we could all watch it again and actually, you know, my my thought is I wanna I wanna talk about this thing as once again the legacy of what this movie is. We're gonna go into spoilers because uh, with me not talking, like the reason I want to do this is what this movie is is it's a celebration of Spider Man on the silver screen. Um, I I want to get into a deep dive of that eventually and talk about how does that succeed in that sense. But I do want to talk about how does it succeed as a movie here. Um, I think it did a really good job of like obviously there's fan there's fan service and a lot of people like a lot of fan service kind of just ruins a movie. But I think they did it in such a way where it was like self contained and like if you had never like seen any of the past movies, it still fit really well. Like, you didn't have to know what those references and everything was to enjoy it and like the movie. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think uh, I I I think as far as like that's concerned too, like I think it did a really clever thing with, hey, let's bring back all of these villains because all of that has they do a good enough summary bringing them in if you don't know. But all of them are in that cultural zeitgeist of knowing about Spider-Man in the past. It's the same thing of, we don't have to have Uncle Ben die again because we all know Uncle Ben dies. Having all of these uh, movie villains come back, you don't have to break the pacing of the movie to bring them in. I do think there are pacing issues in this movie, by the way. But oh, yeah. they, they could. One of the biggest compliments I can give it is it had the potential of being a lot worse with pacing. The same thing with like uh, the the event uh, Endgame and whatever. The fact that yeah. it wasn't a total mess with everything is a very big testament to the the thought process that goes into this. We are a series of movies, um, which is an interesting concept to get into. But I will not. I think that them introducing characters we know helps out with that a lot and you don't have to ruin the start of the movie by saying like here's all your exposition you can kind of give enough to catch the characters up but not go into oh green goblin drank all of his green goblin juice and now he can't stop turning green <laughs> I really like, like how they uh like invade the idea of the Green Goblin and Norman being different and how like he takes control. Like I the first movie, the first Spider-Man movie, you know, conveyed that and did it okay, I think. But I think No Way Home definitely made it seem more of a a plot point. Definitely. Um, Cuz the first one, this first one made it seem like, you know, Norman it was like something that, that shifted into his normal personality, which it, it did. But No Way Home definitely sold it being like a separate personality entirely I, I, I would agree but like i mean in that first movie too like you have that scene where he basically comes to uh thanksgiving and he's really happy about everything <laughs> and then he leaves thanksgiving yeah. by calling mj a whore yeah <laughs> he uh but it was, was that really out of character though like you're a goblin or not that's not he's a rich dude he's probably just a dick i don't know i i i like I got an impression that uh, Norman Osborn, despite like being a rich guy, like he still is kind of he's kind of weird and sincere and caring. Where like, yeah, 
like he just he seems really enthusiastic about being alive and and everything like you get that impression mm-hmm. of like he's not an asshole but he does something when he's desperate and then he starts having huge mood swings and i love yeah. I, I i like that in this movie um i still like in spider-man one that like his big thing when he's doing that because it's it's happening diegetically with him by him just talking in the mirror and i love that in those movies i didn't necessarily think it was done better in this movie but there are really cool moments that that mm-hmm. happens and like at some point uh after we get through our thoughts i do want to talk about the scene in the apartment because the scene in the apartment yeah. is so fun yeah no it's crazy i love that <laughs> like, uh, so uh, uh, uh james ben and danny what how, how did you get on with this movie as a whole um it was fine how dare you sir? um um so I'm so the hottest take right now. I I think that I think better than I have to take this outside. I think Spider-Man No Way Home. I was I was more so happy to see Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin, uh, and Alfred Molina uh, as Doc Ock. And obviously, I'm a Tobey Maguire boy. So seeing yeah. Tobey Maguire, I was I was excited too. Um. But uh, I think as an overall film, uh, um, there was maybe just some stuff that I thought was just okay. I wouldn't say that this film was bad, like by no means. Like I, I, I don't think it's a bad movie. But I think that um, I think that um, there were just some things that I saw in this movie that I maybe didn't agree with in terms of like characterization of certain characters. Mm. Um, so for example, I think like the biggest one is Alfred Molina as Doc Ock, where it was just like, I'm mad because my chip is broken and I'm evil because of that. As opposed to like in Spider-Man two, he's clearly struggling with it. Like throughout the whole thing, probably honestly, even more so than, Green Goblin was in the first Spider-Man. Like, Alfred Molina is a lot more in the middle um, being Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2 than I think Willem Dafoe, Willem Dafoe was being in the middle in Spider-Man 1. Yeah. Um, I, I, do ag- I do agree with you, John, where it's like, I, I think that... I, I, I always read... Um, Norman Osborn's like aggression and all this stuff at like the dinner, like like that's like a little bit of the goblin getting in there. That's not him. It's like just he can't he can't like pull that stuff back. It's like it's it is a personality overtaking him, um, which is sort of a through line of all three of the original Spider-Man movies. Like the first one, it's and that's sort of what's kind of beautiful about the third Spider-Man is now it's Toby. Uh, Tobey Maguire, um, Spider-Man, struggling with having these two different sort of like the who he is and being tainted by this darker half of himself. And what makes that a fulfilling trilogy is, sure, we saw we saw 
um, Doc Ock and Green Goblin succumbed to those, but Spider-Man was able to overcome it. He was able to overcome that dark, that darkness creeping into him and actually changing him as a person and taking him over. Um, but I, I just think that I, I thought throughout basically the whole movie, I thought uh, Doc Ock was not really acting like Doc Ock was, which made me be like, okay, okay. is he from a is he from a different universe? A different, but it's just the, it's just Alfred Molina. Um, yeah, I, you know, with your, your talk of characterization, like, I guess the big part that I totally agree with you is, yeah, he just seems mad and angry, where, like, you get that feeling of him in Spider-Man 2 as he's a guy who he's fallen to the te uh, tentacle madness, right? He's getting more mm -hmm. and more into that, but it wasn't, like, it doesn't seem like they're controlling him totally. You have that feeling of he's very desperate and he's letting them take mm -hmm. control of him because of that desperation of, I want to finish this. I, I sacrificed so much for this. And <laughs> in No Way Home, he has that feeling of, I'm just a bad guy taking, being taken control by these tentacles. Where, yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's not as that, like, a sort, it's not as, of a sympathetic like approach to him because you mm -hmm. do get that feeling that he's letting these tentacles take over more and more so he can achieve the end because he feels like the ends justify the means at this point. I I also felt like there was maybe some I'm 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 mostly just focusing on my critiques right now. I'm but I will say like I think um Tom Holland is a is a great Spider-Man. I like the thing with him and MJ. Um, I, I like that group of friends and I like how um, in this movie, Spider-Man is like growing up and all this stuff. I really like everything about that sort of stuff. Um, but um, a lot, uh, my other distractions were like on a production level where it's very apparent that they couldn't get the actor for Sandman back. Um, he was they, in it. Uh, he just did voiceover. Yeah, but he was like, "I don't want to be on camera." He's <laughs> <laughs> like, the shots that they used of him were shots in Spider-Man Three. They just repurposed or unused, the shots. Or unused shots because they don't actually line up. Yeah, and so it's like, takes, which I thought was at least like a cool way to do it, so it's not one to one, you know? Yeah, but yeah. sure, but it's like. If he comes back to do the voice, why can't he just? Why can't he just be on set? Because he has to go film sideways too. <laughs> I I didn't want to. I didn't long ways. I didn't want to jump in and shout Thomas Hayden Church, but thank you. I appreciate. I appreciate you remembering him and and Paul Giamatti who is dressed up as, as, as the rhino, are filming Sideways 2 as we speak. Marvel Sideways. True. I, I have so much more to say about Sideways than I do about literally any moment of a Spider-Man. And I'm sorry that I'm just of no use to you. <laughs> it's okay. Well, uh, so, uh, uh, James, how did you get on with this movie? 
liked it quite a lot. I like uh, in general. I'm not. I don't like superheroes. I don't like superhero movies. Uh, I just it's just not my bag, man. Uh, but I saw this one. I had a really good crowd. Uh, my 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 steps uh, brothers and dad are all big uh, Marvel guys. They like they like all the content. So it was good because uh, they were they were wild into it. They were loving it. It was a great time. And uh, I really got to see with with, I, I think, the right crowd. Otherwise, I don't think I would have enjoyed it half as much. But it, it was a good time. I, I'm. I've always been a bigger fan of in these Spider-Man movies specifically of the guys that they get to play characters on the periphery like. I'm a big Keaton fan, right? Uh, I was honestly more excited to see Michael Keaton than I was to see a Spider-Man movie, so I was just happy he was getting work. And this is like a rogues gallery of some of my favorite character actors getting work, in addition to the world-renowned hero that is Willem Dafoe. So that was awesome. My favorite part about this movie is that the mouse cut huge checks to all my favorite boys. That was that was tight. That was awesome. <laughs> um, what about you, Danny? How uh, how are you up on this movie? I think maybe I'm a little bit more of a fanboy than some of you guys, because like this is maybe one of the times I had the most fun in the theater in the past two three years. In all honesty. I, I love my Spider-Man. I love my memes. I love getting referential with it. Um, <laughs> I you, want uh, Tobey Maguire to come back and say pizza time, even though he didn't. But did you I'm clap when, when uh, <laughs> Norman said, you know, I'm somewhat of a scientist myself. myself. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely some dumb shit that happens. Like, um, I one of the things was going back and rewatching, I wanted to do even though I'm not as big a fan, like the amazing Spider-Mans, and just see how many times Andrew Garfield cries. <laughs> compare him as like the, the crying Spider-Man, because there's that part where he saves like MJ, but he gets all teared up because mm-hmm. his MJ died that way. I which is the best part of the movie, in my opinion. Yeah, I, like, I, 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 th- I thought that this movie really did a lot for Andrew Garfield. It did. It really did. I would agree on that front. And um, <laughs> there's two things I'm going to get into. I, to comment on the villains and them feeling uh, out of character, I feel like that's part of the contrivance of trying to get villains across the universes to come together and be like, where's Peter Parker in that same sort of J. Jonah Jameson energy? <laughs> they all need to come and fight all the spiders. So, like, they're going to have to make some sacrifices there. Like, realistically, Jamie Foxx should have just left and become an electric god. Because that's what he wanted, what and so what? that's maybe the one that got shoe hit, shoehorned in most. <laughs> but then coming back to that apartment where they're, you know, um, Tom Holland is trying to fix all of them. The thing that I, I keep coming back to it, and people can just say that Spider Sense is ridiculous, but I want to know how he knew that fucking Green Goblin took over for Osborne. With spider sense, how how does that work, dude? Like I so so uh this this movie, this movie made me go back and like uh 
want to go do more Spider-Man things. I did the same exact thing as you, uh, Danny, where I just went and watched every Spider-Man movie before watching this. Um, uh-huh. I hadn't ever seen the uh, Amazing Spider-Man movies before this, so I was like, I should probably hop into that. Um, but uh, afterwards, I was like, I guess I'll 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 continue reading the comics, and I've been reading a bunch of old. Uh, during the the uh Stanley era Spider-Man and I'll tell you what uh if you want somebody to answer to you what spider sense is uh reading any Spider-Man is not not <laughs> going to help you it's just a plot thread to be like well if we make him blind he can still fight or whatever it's like a uh, speaking of blind it's a get uh, out he of- has a very good lawyer He's a that very, very good, good lawyer. lawyer came to his aid. Um, but it's 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 literally like a get out of a narrative corner, uh, 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 free card is what Spider senses. But you know, I I think that we can talk about uh characterization. I think that uh uh Sandman and Jamie Foxx, I really didn't need him in this movie. I, or, or oh my mm. god, I totally even forgot that the lizard Alligator was in this man. movie. Lizard yeah. Man. Yeah. Yep. I yeah. was like, yeah, there was only <laughs> four of them, right? Um, I like, he wanted to turn people into lizards. I like I understand Alfred that. Molina. I, uh, I think that though he didn't play the character as much, like, as well as I'd want him to, uh, or he was playing a different character, I suppose, is more what I want to get into. Uh, I loved um uh uh Willem Dafoe so much in this movie. I mm-hmm. it's the same sort of thing that like me and Ben have gotten into arguments about which Spider-Man is better and what what uh always comes back to why I can't like just sit down and say Spider-Man 2 is Willem Dafoe as a villain that just chews up the scenery is so good like i i keep thinking about the line where uh someone's talking to him and it's like norman and it's just willem dafoe being like norman's on sabbatical honey it's (laughs) so good and the worst thing this movie did was have other actors on screen because i just wanted more willem dafoe willem dafoe hanging out with tom holland like and that everything that was like the crux of Tom Holland's emotional grow up in this movie came from Willem Dafoe. And I feel like the other villains being there kind of ruined what could have been a better movie if it was just Green Goblin and Spider-Man again, you know? Yeah. I think you definitely could have just had, if you had like, you could have maybe done like, okay, there's three so that there's, you know, there's like Green Goblin and sure you can have Doc Ock and... And then the Rhino. And the Rhino. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, maybe someone just to tie it in with Andrew Garfield. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Just one of them. Just so that there's like a through line. For all of it, um, but yeah, like it should be Gwen Stacy's father. And he just he was the real, he was the real he's, just, he's, just a, he's just a premonition that just stares at Peter all the time, and he shakes his head. He's like, "No, don't date her." 
don't don't do it. Uh, no, I, no, none of that. I hey, you stop that. We should talk about <laughs> our favorite scenes. Um, and I have two of them. Uh, we've already mm-hmm. went into went into them, but like what they meant to me, like the 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 best scene in the whole movie is uh uh uh. Andrew Garfield saving MJ, like just how mm-hmm. much he sells that where like he jumps and it's such a, a big move of desperation. And like, I think he did so good in this movie because his face yeah. sells it so much of, I mean, can't let this happen again. And it's just, it's fan, fan fantastic. Like I love that bit. I, I guess I have yeah. three because the third one I want to also talk about is when they're getting ready for the fight. And it's just Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, and Tom Holland talking, and it's this almost uh, this meta uh, meta uh, conversation they're talking about. Where yeah, they're talking about their times as Spider Man, but like what I read that scene as is these actors getting together and talking about them playing Spider Man, and I thought that was so cute and sweet. Of like mm-hmm. it, it, it had the tone of like let's get all three of these guys together during an interview and talk about their legacy as Spider-Man. And I thought that was such a fun scene. Um, and I, I, I love the, the everything to do in that apartment post him spider sense thing is bad. I'm going to come in and see that he's turned back. Um, all of those were great. My big issue with this movie is the same issue I had with, with uh, with Spider Man, and I, I, or uh, uh, all Marvel movies in general is, they just they don't know how to handle tonal change. Um, John Watts, who has uh, done the directing for all three of the Spider Man movies at this point, um, he definitely has a more comedic style to him. I, I, I will give him that and go with what you know. Uh, I think that the first Spider-Man movie works well uh, of the John Watts trilogy because uh, he, it is kind of comedy. It's kind of, it's kind of parroting like this high school, ideal high school uh, experience by having like literally Ferris Bueller's day off uh, playing on one of the TVs. It, it wants to be like that of like, oh, Peter just wants to go to school but he's got to be Spider-Man. And I think that works well. There's a point in this movie um, that John Watts needed to buckle down because there's the big thing that happened, which is, I, I mean, I, how, how spoiler do we want to go with this movie? You just go spoiler. I, when, I mean, we've warned him. When, so, hey, when, there's going to be spoilers. <laughs> uh, watch the movie, come back. When uh, Aunt May dies. Like, I, I thought that was handled well. I thought that was fine. But at that point, that movie needed to change tonally. That movie needed mm-hmm. to be like, okay. You, you uh, can't go back yeah, you to can't being just jokey after that. Having jokes over and over and over again. Like, you could still have, like, maybe the other side characters. But Peter Parker, Tom Holland's Peter Parker, cannot go back to being jokey after that. And at that point, like if that movie would have changed and changed uh style in general theme and all of that like i i i would have loved that movie if like 
it was literally like hey here's the old spider-mans and here's this we have to do something different um it would have been up there but because it's a marvel movie they have to add levity to everything uh, marvel has that big thing of we have to make a movie for everybody and in the end when you make a movie for everybody you kind of make a movie for nobody like people enjoy it right it's something that people can talk about but um it's very hard for me to sit down and like say on my short list of top favorite movies movies that had like a really big impact to ever put a marvel movie on that because they're not really saying anything you know they're not they're they're too afraid to go into this movie's about this or or whatever because they don't want to upset anybody or they don't want to make a movie that isn't for everybody that you kind of lose i guess that personal feeling that i got from the original trilogy trilogy of spider-man movies is those are all very personal movies to me and they're trying to say something sure it's popcorn uh filmmaking but that's what like that's what Raimi does best is a good popcorn movie um <laughs> but they're very personal to me and because of that feeling of we have to play this movie safe um i just felt like i couldn't connect with it on the same personal level i did with those other movies and the big thing too is going back and watching all of these there were moments in amazing spider-man where those are trying to do something and i kind of respect those movies yeah. more because they're trying to do something you know no, yeah, I, I think that I, I, yeah, and like I think that that's what's at the core of these new Spider-Man movies is that they are holistically trying to be fitting into the Marvel tone. Um, which you know, when you have fifteen to twenty movies in the same universe and they all have the same tone even if they're about different people a lot of them will blend in together most of them will blend in together um and so the thing about these movies is like they they arrive and you're just like okay and you watch it and you're just like okay it's another marvel movie um so it doesn't really leave that much of an impression. I mean, I, I can make exceptions for like certain Marvel movies where it's like, that is definitely a Taika Waititi movie. That's definitely a James Gunn movie. You know, like stuff like that. Like I can fully like recognize that. Um, but with these movies, it's it does feel very blended in with Marvel stuff as opposed to trying to do its own thing. Um, but, you know, and the, all that being said, it doesn't particularly do anything bad, you know, at least in the case of this movie, it's like, it's, it's nothing is bad. Like, I wouldn't say there's anything that I was like, oof, about this movie. Um, it's just kind of, uh, it fits in line with other Marvel movies where you watch it and you're like, well, that was, that was fun. And then you're, you're done watching it. Yeah, and then least, you like go back, and then you like go have supper at like the Olive Garden, you know? Yeah, like you're kind of like okay, uh, you don't get anything from. Yeah, but those are at least my thoughts on the movie. Uh, once again, love Willem Dafoe, love Alfred Molina. You know, they're great. 
Did anyone else get like grandma vibes from Doc Ock in this movie? Like he just kind of seems like a grandma. Grandma. Yeah, he yeah. He like, of, I look at him, and I just feel like he looks like a grandma. He he is kind of old and crotchety, and he's, he's got like, he's like sixty five. He's got he's got like the same curly hair as my grandma. <laughs> yeah, like they but, wear well, the it's, same it's also glasses. funny because like he uh, uh, he only agreed to come back if they de-aged him, and it doesn't look like they did at all. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, can only go so far. I'm, I'm waiting until I see it in like high resolution because like. Even in the theaters, it kind of looked like garbage. Yeah. Well, if we I, want to talk so, about editing Doc Ock, how about all the times where people just like removed the arms and he's floating along the highway? <laughs> oh, that uh, reminds me of another thing. The CGI in this movie was atrocious. It wasn't great. Like, it was like, I they actually went back and fixed like, some uh, of it. If you heard, it. I'm not sure if you guys heard about it, but they actually went back and like fixed some of it. Like, there's a second version they released kind of discreetly in the theaters. That did fix some of the CGI, but my the one that I hated the absolute most was when Andrew Garfield saves MJ because when he hits the ground and stands back up, it is so jarringly like unrealistic. And like, there's got to be a certain like amount of un- unrealistic for movies like this, but it's just so jarring and uncanny that it just looks really uncomfortable to look at. Yeah, I don't know. I was, I was. The thing about like visuals, like CGI and stuff, is you know if you're invested in the story or if you're invested in like what's going on, you can really overlook any of that stuff. Um, like I agree. Like that's the point. It's the reason. It's entirely because I agree that I'm saying like this is a bad thing is because that was too distracting for me to like. It was really bad. It's really bad animation. Yeah, I I mean I didn't I didn't notice anything about. It. But, you know, all of these movies look like cartoons. No, you know, like I've never I don't I don't know if I've ever seen CGI in a movie. It's like that was insane or something, you know, I, but I, I think the Guilty Gear CGI is. I'm, well, yeah, I mean, it's Guilty Gear. There you go. Yeah, okay. That's not so bad. But, um, but no, yeah, I, I maybe who knows? Maybe I was just invested in that specific part of the movie, so I didn't really pay any mind to it. But got it. There is uh, another another bit that I am kind of upset about is, um, it was very like it was a powerful moment, um, of uh, towards the end there, uh, Tom takes uh takes uh the glider and he's just gonna fucking murder that old man um <laughs> and like him and it, what it meant for like toby to step in and 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 stop it that was such a good scene and then immediately having uh him stabbed like being this almost why does his why does why does his tingle not work? Well, regardless, uh, <laughs> uh, he was a little focused on something else. His uh, hit, him being stabbed, I think, works so well because it's like it's still mm-hmm. going with that theme and it's hammering in too. Like, regardless of whether I'm doing the good thing, it doesn't make make it the easy thing. Um, and putting that in again to hammer in that point for like everything that happened with Aunt May. Uh, I think worked really well, but it killed me that 
like I know you can't kill off uh Toby or whatever, but like after everything yeah, I that was it, weird was, too. it was so inconsequential because it was just like <laughs> no, I'm just fine, no. it just hurts. I've been stabbed before. And it's just like what that would have meant as a character me. moment where like Toby Maguire died right there, but his sacrifice was still to prove that point. That would have been yeah. I feel like so much more powerful for this movie because that would have that would have hammered in the decision at the end. The great power comes great responsibility of I've got to make this decision to protect people. Um, mm-hmm. But then it got played off as like a joke of like, oh, yeah, that really hurt. I, I yeah, think- I thought that was weird, too. I was like, why did he get stabbed in the first place if there's no consequences to it? Um, yeah. yeah. So Sorry, I was sorry. like, I was like. Want- are you on PC right now? Sure. Yeah. Like, uh, okay, I'm gonna open a, a uh, stream real quick. Don't open this, John. It's copyright. Um, uh, uh, can I want we, you to look at this animation real quick. Can we so do this watching. after mm-hmm. we wrap up the podcast? Well, well, I feel like it's a it was it was a talking point that I had, so I kind of. Okay. Well, like, how about I? Uh, uh, okay. Um. Do you, does anybody else have any like closing thoughts on? spider-man uh once again i want to revisit this topic so if there's something that you're like oh i i i think that that might be applicable later uh you can save it for that but does anybody have like anything else they want to add to this it's no it was, it was good it's fine it's fine it's you know it's a marvel movie it's I, I wasn't wowed by it but you know it's you know it was fine i don't know <laughs> okay. My yeah. only thing is, if they were gonna bring back all those Sam Raimi heroes, they also needed a Bruce Campbell cameo. But that's all I was missing. Yeah, or well, bone maybe... saw. I feel like me and John were talking CGI about bone saw <laughs> in uh, hey. what do you call it? Question. Uh, Doctor Strange. Why wasn't Bone Saw ready? <laughs> what the hell is happening here? Oh my god. Oh. Uh, Bonesaw is critical to this film. Bring the actual dead body of uh, <laughs> of Put Macho on Man. Some puppet strings. That's Maybe fine. I think we'd all be okay with that, right? Yeah, I I, agree. I I think he would be okay with it too. <laughs> he uh, loves lifelong performing. performer. Um, lifelong performer. No, I. I I don't want to turn this into like us talking about speculation for Marvel because I don't want to be a Marvel shield. Um, I enjoy the every odd art Marvel movie. Um, like Ben was talking about. God, I love Thor Ragnarok because I love Taika Taika Waititi. Um, so yeah, uh, maybe there might be a Bruce Campbell uh thing in Multiverse of Madness because it's a Raimi film. It'd be wild. I would watch it. I lose my shit. I think we have a better chance seeing the like uh, Oldsmobile uh, in it than Bruce Campbell, but I would still be pretty hyped if somebody was just driving around uh, Ash's car. <laughs> like, even if it was just a small thing, I would be real excited about it. Um. So Skyler sent that uh, da, 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 animation. 
do. Let me let me look at it. Oh yeah, that doesn't look good. That doesn't look good at all. Oh yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, he. Yeah. <laughs> it's very it's like movie. overly distracting. It's like the like I can't suspend disbelief with how bad that is. Like, yeah, I get it. Like Marvel movies are hit or miss with CG. It just really depends on what they're working with. I think because like the CG, whether it's organic or not, really depends on what the CG is for. And you know, our Spider-Man is an organic being. Like he's human. He's fleshy. There is absolutely zero momentum in that, and that's what makes it really uncanny and hard to watch because he stands up way too quick. He's only and he's bouncy. Like people don't bounce. Like I know they're like that. Well, bouncing is a principle of animation, but like this isn't this isn't like complete kind of animation. It's supposed to be realistic because it's a realistic saw movie. It's a live action. Skylar Gwynn bounced a lot. <laughs> um, and see. <laughs> I, no, the last thing I want to ask you guys before we wrap wrap this up. Um, how did you feel like where they kind of left things? I I really like how they left it. It feels like it was a reverse, like I mentioned this before, a reverse origin story, where instead of like, this is how he... Uh, started as spider-man this is how he like stepped into the role as spider-man instead if that makes sense like he had the power and he had to learn how to you know it, it basically they just took the origin story and did it backwards and i like that a lot yeah i, I yeah I, I thought it was uh you know what i i think that if they just leave it open-ended and that's the end like that's that's plenty interesting to me like i think it's like okay and we can assume that he just goes off and becomes Spider-Man. Yeah, like, you could have future movies just have, like, little no newspapers or something being like, Spider-Man saves this. You don't ever have to have Peter Parker exist ever, like, again in that, which I think yeah. with Tom, it kind of it seemed like news came out after he was done that he's like, I might step away from acting for a little bit. So I... I I personally liked where they left him as a character. Um, to me, and I'm sure a lot of other people, having poor little, like, actual poor Peter Parker trying to make his way as, like, being a a single person on his own, uh, trying to struggle to make rent and everything, I feel like that encapsulates his character the best. And like it, that's definitely my favorite version. Of it just it, it makes him more human. Like you get that, uh, and once again, I want to touch on this in a later episode. But you get that, like uh, that feeling of Peter Parker's life would be so much better if he wasn't Spider Man. Like if he literally just dropped it, he could get a pretty decent job and just live whatever life. Um, and I think that that's important to him as a character. So. I, I like where that leaves him. I like the fact that, like, you see him packing, uh, you see his stuff that's packed up, and there's, like, a study guide for uh, get your GED. I thought that was pretty funny. Because he don't, he don't exist no more. He's got to get a, a diploma somehow. <laughs> I mean, uh, one kind of, like, weird plot point that I wasn't quite fond of was related to like how it ended like how it's like 
we'll make him forget I'm Spider-Man. It's like, well, that won't work. It's like, we'll make him forget I'm Peter Parker. It's basically the same thing. So why does it still work? Why does that one work and the other doesn't? Well, the, he, well, the just thing is that... Like, I, it felt shoehorned. Well, the, the, the reason that the Spider-Man one didn't work is because... Like, he interfered with the spell, and he didn't accept it at a base level. And so he, it was his own personal thing where he was like, oh, I don't want to do that. And then the second one, he does accept he doesn't mess with the spell at all. He doesn't break the spell. He's just like, okay, it'll be that. Yeah, he could have just made a new one, though. Yeah, but I feel, like, I feel like... Uh, I feel mean, like... Obviously, I had to make a new one just for the Peter Parker one. Maybe. Like, it made sense for the story they wanted to convey, but, like, I just think it doesn't really make sense why one worked. Where one would work and one would not. Maybe he can't That's my only real undo issue that spell because... It's, it'd be two spells contradicting each other. Yeah, like that. I don't think you can. Uh, maybe I. I don't know. I don't. I don't no, know. It doesn't really matter. But yeah, yeah, Doctor Strange magic is just as much of a crutch as like Spider Sense can be. Well, yeah. I mean, they're yeah. all super powered. Oh, even more so. Like, <laughs> yeah. You could just say you could come in in this chapter and say, <laughs> uh, uh, Doctor Strange now has like a really big hand because the story depends on him having a really big hand to pick up like six basketballs at once and win the basketball championship it doesn't matter which is cool I'm glad really, i actually finally that. watched dr strange i actually enjoyed it quite a bit yeah i think i, I like ben to come i've I, never seen him in anything before dr strange you haven't watched sherlock no <laughs> Yeah, I think we should have just left Doctor Strange in the mirror dimension. That would have been fine. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe. Maybe he'll do that next movie. But I think with that, let's let's draw this thing to a close. Um, Yeah, let's all go watch Sherlock. Let's all go watch Sherlock. Uh, Once again, we've been the Hanging Out With podcast, and uh, thanks for hanging out with us. uh, And podcasting. Um... Yeah, we'll 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 keep pumping these out. Uh, we have a whole bunch of other things we had on a list today. We'll go through those at a different point. So thank you so much. Uh, that should do it for us. <laughs>